All right, if you've got your Bibles, let's open together to Genesis chapter 17. Like I, like I said last week, we're continuing our study in the book of Genesis through the summer. So Genesis chapter 17, we were in chapter 15 last week. We're, we're kind of making a jump. Again, we're hitting the highlights uh, from this book. Uh, we're going to read the first 14 verses here, but let me begin this way. Um, sometimes you'll go see a movie, and the movie is exciting. It feels like a Disney ride. You'll, you'll kind of check that box and go, okay, I saw it. It was entertaining. That's not a movie I feel like I ever have to see again. But in, in, but in very rare occasions, there might be a movie or film where you go, before the movie, movie has even ended, you're saying, I can't wait to see that again. There's something about it that, that makes me want to watch it again. I think I missed things. Uh, it was so well done. It was so well written or so well produced. Uh, you want to see it again. Um, in, in a way like that, Genesis is such a well-written and well-produced book. Uh, unless you kind of follow it along and go chapter by chapter, theme by theme, sometimes you'll, you'll miss uh, some of those um, beautiful features about the text. And let me highlight just one on the front end. Remember in Genesis 1, where you've got the creation of all of the world in the span of six days, and, and the Scriptures are very clear that God did this with His words. He spoke everything we see and everything we don't see by the power of His words. He spoke everything to, into, into existence. And then Genesis 3 uh, through Genesis 11, uh, we get the bad news. We see this world fall into ruin. And we see the expanse of sin going out through all of creation, making a mess, absolute mess of things. But in Genesis 12, which is, is the, the call to Abraham, and then Genesis 15, what we looked at last week, what, what you start to see is this repetitive theme. The Lord spoke to Abraham. A word of the Lord came to Abraham. And in the passage we're looking at this morning, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, in other words, if Genesis 1, um, God was using his, using his words um, to speak and execute everything we see into existence. What's happening in Genesis 12 and on, God is using His words and His power um, to execute this plan of redemption, to execute this plan of, of a new creation with His words, uh, with His speaking. So what is He doing? What's, what's, the, uh, what's the finer details? Uh, let's find out. This is Genesis chapter 17. Verses 1 through 14. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, 
you and your offspring after you throughout the generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your, your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Because of a number of of services that are out there these days, um, Ancestry.com, 23andMe, um, there's this new fascination with kind of like finding out your family history, finding out your background. And, and some who, who, you know, get online uh, to find these things, some who, who do it are just curious. Others of us uh, are, are really trying to find out really, you know, what nations, um, you know, did I, did I come from? What's my background? What's my, what's my family origin? Uh, what races have been a part of, of, of my family name? Uh, and if we're honest, uh, most of us, if we're engaging this, we're, we're kind of hoping that we find some sort of like cool story, like maybe we came from Vikings or something exciting. Uh, people ask all the time, you know, are, are you, Jake, related to General Patton? And as far as we know, uh, we're not. But we're kind of hoping like there's, there's something cool, you know, in our, in our history, like we belong to a certain people or, or someone uh, who's famous. Um, now it's as easy as just swabbing your cheek. It's easy to find out where you come from, your, your family origins. Um, when we look at the Scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, one of the ways in which God describes His relationship to His people is very familial. He says, I, I, I will be a, your God, you will be my people. I will be your father, and you will be to, as to me a son or a daughter. Or He'll use bridal language, I'm the groom, you, the church, are the bride. Uh, he, he describes his relationship in, in familial ways, and, and, and like we know, like we just talked about, that's how things were set up in the Garden of Eden, but it was lost, it was destroyed, and, and sin ruled and, over, and overcame this, this, this world that we live in. And so the question is, is, is what is God going to do? What is God going to do with this broken world, with this broken people? And what He's doing here with Abraham is He's saying, I'm establishing something new, I'm establishing a family. So, if it, what that means is if we were to apply like Ancestry.com to New City, if we were to apply 23andMe to the church today, where would it take us? Where could we kind of like trace our origins and our roots back to? Where did we, as, as a part of the church, where did we come from? Who is our family? And what this text is screaming to us is, is that it takes us all the way back to Genesis 17. This is where it all began. If you were to trace it back, this is our family. We, a lot of us grew up singing Father Abraham, and we haven't sung it since. Uh, we grew up singing that song, um, but, but it has a point. Uh, this, this family of God, this relationship, this covenant between he and his people, it all begins here. This is where it begins. And, and just like, you know, some of your families have like a seal 
or a crest or a marker or a brand for your family. God's family, too, had a brand. It had a marker. It had a sign, and that was the sign of circumcision. So I want to look at two things uh, this morning, about two points, Uh, the circumcision of the flesh and then the circumcision of the heart. Circumcision of the flesh and circumcision of the heart. Let's get our bearings uh, real quick, because this, this is really important. We sang it, and we just read it, and I, and I want us to see it. What's, what's the context of, of Genesis 17? Because that will kind of help us understand uh, what's going on here. Now, in Genesis chapter 12, that's the first time God reaches out to Abraham, and he, and he comes to Abraham in a vision. He says, guess what? Out of you, out, out of this moon-worshiping culture, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make a nation out of you. Um, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to bless the world through you and your family and through your offspring. It started in Genesis chapter 12. And last week, like I said, we looked at Genesis chapter 15, where he expounds on that promise. Uh, and the Lord walked between uh, the pieces of the animals that were sacrificed in the making of the covenant between God and Abraham. Um, and, and now when we get to uh, Genesis, or excuse me, in, in Genesis 15, um, it's been 13 years uh, since God first promised a child to Abraham. 13 years, okay? And uh, in Genesis chapter 16, uh, the covenant is never mentioned. Uh, and so the chapter before what we're looking at today, we have this, we have this very human thing. Uh, that I want us to see. Remember, um, it's been 13 years since the promise that God has has made for this child. And so, Sarah is getting impatient. So, she gives Hagar to Abram and says, obviously, a child is not going to come through me. So, why don't you take my servant? And Abraham willingly agrees, and Ishmael is born. But that wasn't the promise. The promise was going to be through Sarah and through Abraham, not through Hagar. And so you see humanity's impatience uh, with, with the promises of God. And, and in chapter 16, the covenant is never mentioned. And then we get to chapter 17. Chapter 17 has been 25 years since God has promised a child. They're not getting younger. They're getting older. Abraham is how old? He's 99 years old. And what we all know is that the older you get, the likelihood of being reproductive is very, very difficult. And so for the first time in, this, in, in, in the Scriptures… Uh, Look back at the text, verse 1. Like I said, we sang it and we just read it. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. And if you were to read this in the Hebrew, we would say, I am El Shaddai. I am the Lord Almighty. This has never been used in the Old Testament uh, until this point. This is the first time that's been heard. Holy, 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 Lord, God, Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And Abraham's response would be our response. When God breaks the silence after 25 years, the promise has not come true yet. What does he say? He says, I'm El Shaddai. And what does Abraham do? He falls on his face. It's, it's not this coordinated, it's not this graceful kneel. It's a falling, it's a crumbling before the holiness of God in an appropriate response. So again, after what just happened in chapter 16, what is God going to do with the impatient Sarah? 
What is God going to do with the impatient Abraham? He falls on his face before the all-powerful God. Thirteen times in this chapter, God uses the word covenant. The covenant I establish with you and your offspring after you, God has not forgotten. Though like in days of old, God could use His almighty power to judge, to correct, to discipline, uh, to shape Abraham in, in powerful ways, He says, I'm going to use my power to fulfill my promise. That child is coming, and that's what happens four chapters later. Um, they get Isaac. They get uh, their son. But what first would have brought terror uh, into Abram's life is, is now a great comfort. It's what brings him hope. Nothing is impossible uh, with God. That's, that's where this story begins. Okay, let's talk about the sign. Uh, and we're all asking it. And if you're not, you would be if you, if you read it again. Why that? And why there? Why that sign? Why that particular sign? And, and why there? Um, that's a very personal, that's a very intimate place um, to make a mark, and, and, and a painful mark uh, at that. Uh, it's very tender. But this is the brilliance of the Lord. That's exactly what He's trying to communicate. Again, this is a sign, and it's signifying something. It's something outward that God wants to be true inward. Um, this is taking place in a very intimate, a very, a very private uh, area, and that's exactly what God is trying to communicate to His people is that He wants to be close. He wants to be intimate. He wants the relationship to be close like that. But to have that kind of closeness, um, it requires something to be cut off. It requires blood. So what did this sign signify? If that was external, what is the internal? Is that God was binding Himself. God was coming, coming close. He wants to be a personal. He wants to be intimate God to Abraham and to their offspring and to the offspring after Him. But notice this uh, about this about this sign. Um, Exodus 12 tells us that if 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 these men were not circumcised. They couldn't participate in the Passover meal. Um, this is serious. God is very, very serious uh, about this procedure. But not just that, and this is very important. Don't miss this. Not everyone who experienced the physical sign went on to experience uh, the spiritual side of the sign. I mean, think about Paul who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament. He was circumcised. He was Jew of the Jews, uh, circumcised on the eighth day according to the laws of Abraham, but he was persecuting the church. Uh, inwardly, he was running from Jesus. Uh, he was cruel. He was a spiritual terrorist until the Lord intervened and, and changed his heart. Um, not everybody who received the physical sign actually would go on to uh, experience uh, the spiritual side. Uh, last point on, on, on circumcision. Uh, notice uh, who would receive this sign. We're, we're, we're tempted to think, you know, a, a sign, you know, something this significant is, is for people who have uh, embraced the covenant from the heart, who, who, can, who can talk about God, 
uh, who have already exhibited faith in God. Uh, but, but notice who's supposed to receive this. Not just Abraham, uh, but Abraham's household. That means Abraham's sons, Ishmael. Uh, down the road, Isaac would receive a circumcision on the eighth day. But look at verses 12 and 13. Let me read it again. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house, and, and get this, or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So, get what God is doing here. He's saying, my, my, my blessings and the covenant blessings of being in relationship with me are not just for those who have already shown signs of, of faith and reciprocation with me. It's, it's for infants eight days old who can't praise God, uh, who can't give thanks, who can't perform obedience. And it's for outsiders. It's for people who are not of your line. It's for people who, who can't say, I'm a biological son or daughter of Abraham. It's for people who are outside. And, and, and here's what that means. What that means in God's economy is that sometimes it, people get to enjoy the blessings of being in without actually being in. Do you see that? In God's economy, sometimes people get to enjoy the benefits of being in without actually spiritually being in yet. Aren't our economies the exact opposite? Um, We've we got to put you through some vetting. Uh, we got to see where your loyalties lie. We've got to see a good track record, and then you'll get benefits. And then we'll be open-handed with you. You see how God is just turning that entire economy on its head? What He's saying to Abraham is, hey, this is not just for you, but this is for your children after you. Give them the sign. Now, at some point down the road, they're going to have to embrace that from the heart. They're going to have to embrace the spiritual side of the covenant. The Lord knows that. And not only that, this is, this, this is for your employees. These are for, for people who serve your family. These are people that you've, you've bought that were in debt and are in servitude to you. It's for them. Mark them as well. Now, there's benefits to being in without actually being in yet. That's the sign. That's what's being signified. Now, what's very, very clear is that at this point in the history of the church, in 2020, uh, we don't participate in that sign anymore, at least the spiritual side of it. Yeah, you know, for medical reasons, uh, circumcision still happens, but it's, but it's not the spiritual sign. We, the church does not practice that uh, as a gathered body, and, that has, and the reason for that is, is because it has everything to do with Jesus of where we stand in relationship to Jesus and His work. Uh, remember, remember the rainbow from a couple weeks ago, right? I, I, w I was thinking this week, I was imagining, you know, Abraham after he died, and if he was in the presence of God with Noah, if, you know, one of the first things he said when he walked up to God was, you know, Noah got the rainbow, for the sign of His covenant, that's beautiful. You know, we can see it all the time, but why did I get this one? <laughs> why couldn't I have something, you know, like, like, like a rainbow? Um, made me chuckle. But remember what the rainbow was. Uh, the rainbow was, was God resting His war bow, 
in the heavens. And where was it pointed? It was pointed heavenward. It was pointed towards God, and that was entirely intentional. It was foreshadowing. It was pointing us to the work that Jesus Christ was going to do on the cross. Jesus was going to be pierced. He was going to receive that arrow that we deserved as punishment for our sin. He was going to take that upon Himself. The bow was pointed at God, not down towards us, and that's the good news. In the same way, this sign, what is happening here, this, um, this bloody sign, this very, very personal, this very, very gross, this, this painful uh, sign, it too is pointing us to Jesus. Think about it this way. Remember when Adam and Eve left the garden? Um, God uh, kicked them out and protecting uh, the tree of life, protecting the Garden of Eden, what did God do? He placed an angel and a flaming sword that was moving back and forth. So, in other words, if Adam and Eve wanted to get back into Eden, if they wanted to get back into the presence of God, if they wanted eternal life, they would, be ha- they would have to place themselves knowingly and willingly underneath the sword. They would have to experience the sword. They would have to experience a cutting. And, and here's what, what Paul does, and I'm just going to paraphrase it for you in Colossians chapter 2. He, he's, saying, he's saying to a Greek church, outsiders, not Jews, he's saying, you, you outsiders, you have no relationship with Abraham biologically. You who are outsiders, you have been circumcised with invisible hands in the circumcision of Christ. You, church, have been circumcised in the circumcision of Christ. And what everybody agrees about that passage, what what are they talking about with with the circumcision of Christ? They're talking about the cross where Jesus willingly and knowingly placed Himself underneath the sword of judgment, underneath the sword of wrath. He was cut off. He was bloodied in our place. It should have been us on the cross. It should have been us who was cut off. It should have been us who was bloodied, but he took that on himself. And, and Tim Keller makes this point, and it's very helpful. We know this in our heart of hearts. When somebody offends you, um, when somebody after a long period of time doesn't get back to your text messages or your correspondence, or somebody really, really offends you, what do you do with those people? What's your natural inclination? It's to cut them off. That's what sin does to relationships. It cuts you off, but, but what is so great about the gospel of Jesus is he says there, there needs to be blood. There needs to be separation. Somebody has to go underneath the sword, and he says, I'll do it for you. He wasn't surprised by that. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't providential in the earthly sense of that word. He knew it, and he willingly offered himself for it. He died for his church. But did you know he also lived? A lot of us know that, yes, Jesus died for the church, but he also lived for the church. And here, here's the point you got to get, and if you don't get this, you're going to miss Christianity altogether. And you might not believe the gospel. You might not believe it fully. Jesus not only died for the church, but He also lived for it. Look back at verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I'm God Almighty, I'm El Shaddai. Walk before me be blameless. Don't overthink it. How do you feel when you hear that? Be blameless. All of you, be blameless. Let's end in prayer. Be blameless. 
Let not a mark or stain come upon you. Live your life perfectly in the law and in the Spirit. Be blameless. Abraham couldn't. You can't. I can't. If the only thing Jesus came to this earth to do was to die, why not take him when he was an infant? Why not sacrifice him then? Why did Jesus live for 33 years? Um, Pam Bitten Brown, who is a, uh, a theologian, and she's, she's brilliant, uh, we, we've talked about this back in our old large groups early on in, in the church. Uh, she asked that question and, and gave a great answer. Why did Jesus have to live for 33 years if all he was coming to do was just be a sacrifice? If he was just coming to, to live under the knife, to live under the sword, you know, kill him the day after he was born, why did he live for 33 years? It's because he lived as Abraham couldn't live. He lived as you and I couldn't live. He was holy. He was blameless. Uh, he wasn't faking it until he made it. He kept, he kept the law of God perfectly in his heart and in his will. And that is essential. Because here's what happens at Calvary. Not only does he take the punishment that we deserve upon himself, but at the very same time and in the very same moment, what he gives us is that perfect righteousness that goodness, that 33-year record of righteous living. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So think of it in terms of bank accounts. We are morally and spiritually bankrupt. Jesus is rich. And in the gospel economy, what he says is we're going to trade accounts I'm taking your bankruptcy and all the penalties that that accrues. I'm taking that upon myself, but you're receiving my account, my goodness, my record, even though that's, that's not your righteousness. You didn't earn that. You didn't live it, but you're receiving it. It's being credited to you. It was earned by somebody else, but it's being credited and given to you as a gift. That's why the Father can look at you and not kind of go, mm. That's why the Father can look at you and it's not, mm. That's why when the Father looks at you, he, He's already smiling. He, he's inclining His head towards you because He doesn't see the old you. He sees the new account purchased by Christ. He sees the new goodness. He sees something that's been given to you by Jesus, these new robes that are white that you didn't earn, but that Jesus gave to you. That was His righteousness, His goodness. That's why the Father listens. That's why he accepts. That's why he smiles. That's why he's good to you. You haven't earned anything. Abraham didn't earn anything. But Jesus did. He's saying, you're getting in on my name. You're getting in on all my efforts. Jesus not only died for the church, but he also lived for it because he was blameless and he was holy. Last point, circumcision of the heart. We're, we're in 2020. This side of, of Jesus' work, this side of, of Jesus' life, we as the church are still marked and it's still identified by circumcision. That is still the sign, except the sign is now internal. It's circumcision of the heart, not the flesh of the heart. Why did this change? Because on the cross, Jesus shed His blood so that the sign for us wouldn't have to be bloody anymore. 
The sign for us is the washing of the water in baptism. The sign of the new covenant in Christ. The the sign is different, but what it's signifying is exactly the same thing, this personal uh, relationship, this communion with God. It was circumcision, now it's baptism. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Now, he's saying this to Gentiles. He's not talking to Jews. He's talking to people like Abraham used to be. He says, look out for the dogs. Paul didn't, you know, mince his words. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about what he used to be. Get this. He says, we are the circumcision. He's talking to outsiders. We are the circumcision. Not of the flesh, but of the heart. We who worship God by Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Uh, He says this to the church in Rome, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit and not by the letter. So even though the sign has changed, what it signifies uh, has not. So what's going on on your insides? Do you have that intimate fellowship and relationship with the Lord? Has your heart been circumcised? Like we said, this sign of this new covenant that, that Christ has made for His church is no longer bloody. And thank the Lord. One was done with a blade, but now this new one is done through the washing of the water. And like in circumcision, what's great about baptism is that it's twofold. On the one hand, what it signifies is is the purification from our sin. We are washed whiter than snow, right? But who is is this, this, this sign of this new covenant for? Who is baptism for? Uh, just like with circumcision, it's not just for believers. Yes, when, when, when people convert and, and when people's hearts are changed, when they're given the Holy, Holy Spirit as the sign and the seal and the brand upon them as a new creation, how do we mark that outwardly? With baptism. But just like with Abraham's household and with Abraham's children, so too they're marked. That's why in our tradition we baptize our children. You get the benefits, some of the benefits of being in without actually being in. Uh, Children of believers who are baptized into this congregation, uh, they get the Lord through you. It's, let me put it this way, it's kind of stark, but it'll get the point. It's almost as if they have an unfair advantage to believe and embrace the gospel uh, from the heart than someone who's not baptized. Why? Because they're baptizing this body into the people of Christ. They get your lessons in Sunday school, but they get those invisible lessons as they watch you sing, as they watch you interact with the Lord, as, as, as they watch you live your life in worship and in your work. They get you. They get this body. They get this people. They get the benefits of being in without actually being in in some ways. I'm not going to go on a sermon into baptism, but it's worth saying. Abraham's sons were circumcised on the eighth day. They got the outward sign, and so are God's people uh, today. So what does that mean then for us as, as we seek to, uh, to be the church in our world? 
um, as we seek to worship in our work, as we, as we go back, as we think about going back to school uh, in the fall, what are, what are some implications? Uh, and it's this. Are you focusing on what God is focusing on? Uh, is what uh, that's important to you the same thing that's important to God? Uh, do you both value the same things? And before you say yes, think about this. What is most important to God, the outward or the inward? What has this passage been screaming? What do both testaments scream? Man looks at the outward appearance, but what does the Lord look at? He looks at the heart. Are you focusing on the sign itself, or are you focusing on what it signifies internally? God cares about the inward more than the outward. Do you care about the inward more than the outward? Or is most of your Christianity just posturing? Is most of your Christianity just public, but in private you're an entirely different person? You know, it's, it's very telling when you have some free time and when you have margins like you've never had before. When no one's looking, when no one's in the car with you, when no one's home with you, who you are when you're by yourself and you have free time, that's who you truly are. Inwardly, who are you? Are you spending more time trying to, trying to construct an outward appearance to your peers and your coworkers, to your church, when inwardly you feel like you're wasting away? When inwardly you feel like your communion and your fellowship with, with God are, are barely existent and not at, and not at times? God cares about the inward more than the outward. Do you? What that might mean for you is, is some things have to change. What does it look like to focus on the inward more? Uh, what does it look like to, um, to believe that when God says He wants an intimate relationship with you, intimate fellowship with you, wants to be personal with you, wants to know you like He knew Abraham? Where do you do that? That's, that's in the prayer closet. That's what other people aren't going to see. That's embracing uh, the inward, not just the external. Um, last point uh, is this. Um, God did, and God still works powerfully uh, through households. Um, the household is not a social construction that we came up with, you know, when everybody immigrated over here. Um, the, the family structure, the family unit is, is sacred because God set it up that way. And so what that means is, is parents, when you're at your best, Let God get the glory, and let your, hear, let your children hear you say that. When you are at your best, say, it's because God changed me. He circumcised my heart, and I'm different than I was before. Let God get the praise. And when you're not, and when you blow it, which we're all going to do, Abraham did, you do, I blow it, offer them your repentance. Let them see what repentance looks like. Say, I own that. I'm sorry. Let me work on that. Will you forgive me for X? for Y, for Z. When you're not at your best, give them your repentance. And at the same time, children, it, it's, it's, not, it's not an accident that God has placed you where He's placed you and the family where He has placed you. As, as the main pipeline from God to yourself, He has given you your mother and your father. And that is not an accident. Listen to them. Heed them follow them, forgive them, 
bless them and speak well of them. Obey them not just uh, externally, but internally in your heart. Pray for them. Pray for your parents um, because they're God's gift uh, to you. What does it mean uh, to live a life of a circumcised heart? It's this, and this is, you know, from another pastor. It's when what you ought to do and what you want to do in your heart of hearts, what you ought to do, what you know you ought to do, and what you want to do are the same thing. That's what it means to be circumcised of the heart. But for a wound to go that deep, for there to be a cutting off, for there to be a death, and a place that we can't reach, God has to do that. He has to do that heart transplant. And that's exactly what He does with His Holy Spirit. He regenerates you. He gives you a brand new heart. He gives you new appetites. You know, you know the difference between works and good works? Works are those things we go, look, God, look what I just did. Now, aren't you proud? But a Christian is different. A Christian doesn't do works. A Christian does good works. It's because you put yourself under the sword for me. You've already saved me. Over my brow, over my mantle, it is finished. It is done. I cannot be any more accepted in the Father's eyes than I am right now because of Jesus. And I know that because He has given me His Spirit. And the more I think about it, the more I tear up. And because of God, of what you've done, how can I be as open-handed with other people? How can I, how can I respond? What can I do? Out of gratitude, out of joy. Do you see the difference between works and good works? One is trying to get God's attention, and the other is because you, you've already got God's attention. You've already gotten His mercy. Someone with, the, with a circumcised heart does good works, and sometimes they don't even know they've done it until after the fact. It's been so instinctual. It's been so fast, and it's been so quick. Let me pray for you. Let me help you. Let me give you this. Let me stop doing this on, on your behalf. And then you look back and you go, how did that happen? Why was that just instinct? Because your heart's been circumcised in a way that you couldn't reach, in a way that you couldn't change by God Himself through His Spirit and your very heart. This can be the church. This can be us. This can be us in the world. Amen? But it's got to be inward. Let's pray. Father, some of us are tired this morning because we've been faking it. We've cared more about our perceptions, our reputations, how other people perceive us to be than who we truly are on the inside. And you know this, and you know this better than we do. Forgive us truly change us. Give us humility, ears to hear, hearts to understand and truly perceive the, the bad news of our hearts that we can't change them, only you can, but do it. Perform that surgery. Circumcise our hearts in the circumcision of Christ. Give us a great gratitude, a great joy in the work that he's done on our behalf that these works uh, turn into good works, that they become instinctual, they become unto you out of gratitude and joy. Change us. Help us. Dad, help us. 
For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.